0: Today, Pastor David continues our series on Genesis, where we will see the power of persistent prayer and trusting the providence of God. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. You know, I, I've got kids, I've got three kids, two boys, and one thing that I love to do with, especially with my boys, is I like to exert my dominance over them as much as I have the opportunity to do that, as, as long as I have the opportunity to do that. Those days are coming to to a close now when I, I go at... My sons, I always tell them, "Thank you for taking it easy on me." But, um, but, but when they were little, especially, I would love, I loved to wrestle with my kids. Loved to wrestle with them, you know, and uh, it was just fun. But here's the thing: I understood the dynamics at play. I realized, especially when they were really little, that that you know, I, I have a lot more. Power than they do, and so I need to be careful. You know, I made Jenny nervous, but I need to be careful, need to, you know, and need to realize that. And and at any point in time, I had the ability to pin my children and win the wrestling match, right? But I love doing it, so I let it go on for a while and even let them feel like they were winning and get a pin on me every now and then. But the the truth remained every time that I wrestled my kids and, and wrestled my kids, especially when they were little, the father held. The outcome of the wrestling match in his hands, right the, the father holds the outcome and many dads in this room you 're probably a lot like that you love to wrestle your children and just have fun, but you always hold the outcome of the wrestling match in your in your hands we 're jumping into week nine of our genesis series and we 're going to come to a point in jacob 's life where Jacob has his own wrestling match with his father, but this isn 't with his earthly father; he has a wrestling match with his heavenly father, and that 's what he tells us and so um, uh, so we are, like I say, week nine of this, we, we have been diving into the book of Genesis and discovering everything we can about the origin of uh, creation and the origin of God's story through through his word and if you've been here through the whole thing, I'm so glad you have. If you're just joining us, I'm so glad you're joining us. And you can always go back and and listen and and see what we have learned and what we have discovered. But I heard someone say that everything that you need to know about God can be found in Genesis. (laughs) That there's so much core doctrine, there's so much truth of the gospels. There's so much Christian practices and principles that we see at play throughout the book of Genesis and in the lives of those that we, we follow. And And hopefully you've seen that. And we haven't even hit every story in the book of Genesis, but we have seen God's love for his creation. And we have seen the enemy's hatred for his creation, right? We have seen, seen the, uh, the attacks from the enemy over and over and over. The seduction of sin and those falling into sin, but those also remaining faithful to God. We have seen, even though we've seen the never-ending attacks of the enemy, we see the never-ending grace and mercy and patience of God. And even though we've seen where God judges evil... His grace is prevalent and they're available in our lives. And we, we have seen where those who remain faithful to Him that He produces in us an obedience for our life that points to God. We've seen so much beauty in the book of Genesis and all through. Scripture, as we move forward, we see God referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And hopefully over these last several weeks, you have seen how that story originated. You've seen the origins of that. You've seen where the God of Abraham was, was where that came into place, the God of Isaac and now the God of Jacob. And it's the same God. They're not, it's the one true God and he has been at work in their life. And as we conclude today, looking at what's happening in Jacob's life, we're going to actually conclude this series next week as, as we look at Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. But, but as we conclude today, I want to get one more truth that we see in Jacob's life that he shows us in his pursuit with God. And that is that we prevail through persistent prayer and trusting the providence of God. We prevail through persistent prayer and trusting the providence of God. All through Jacob's life, he has had tumultuous relationships. Right, Jacob has had, uh, it started in his own family as a son. It started as a child. It started with his brother Esau. It started between his mom and his dad. It continued on into his relationship with his uncle Laban. It continued into, into, his, relation, into his marriage relationships. It continued into his relationship with Laban's sons. It, it, it's just tumultuous relationships, one right after another. But we come to a place where Jacob is told by God, Jacob, it's time for you to return home, the place where you came from, Uh, and, And where you to where you are now, and so Jacob goes to Rachel and Leah his wives, and he tells them, he says, "Look." God's told me it's time for me to return home. It's time for me to take my family and go back to my home where I came from. And and Rachel and Leah finally find something that they can agree upon, and that is, let's go. Let's go with you. We're going to go back to your home. They're going to leave the the their own father Laban. And so they. But what we see in Genesis chapter thirty, Genesis chapter thirty-one, we are basically conti- seeing the continuous deception that's taking place between Jacob and Laban and Laban's kids. It's constant. As we go into Genesis thirty-one, Jacob comes to this place where they leave. And as they leave, Laban realizes what's happened. He chases them down. We get to the end of Genesis 31. And finally, we come to a place where Jacob and his family can peacefully leave Laban and the rest of his kids. And they begin their journey back to his home. And they're journeying back towards where Jacob's brother Esau lives. Okay, And I can imagine that Jacob's a little nervous about this return. Because if you know the story, if you've been here, you heard what happened, you know the story of Genesis, you read what's happened. Jacob did not leave his brother Esau in a very friendly way, right? And so he's going back and Esau has some anger towards him. When he left, Esau wanted to kill him, all right? So he's going back and he sends some messengers ahead of him to go meet Esau, tell him he's coming, but also kind of get an idea of how Esau is going to greet him. And so his messengers come back. We see this in Genesis 32, verse 6. They come back. After delivering the message, they return to Jacob, and they reported this to Jacob. We met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Now." I imagine Jacob got a little bit more nervous at that point in time, all right? Because typically you don't get greeted with a 400 men welcoming party, all right? That's not, that's called an army, okay? That's what they're referred to as. That's not typically a welcoming party, a good welcoming party, all right? So he's, he's trying to figure out what is taking place, what is going on here. Um, and so, so Jacob begins to prepare and he begins to pray about what's happening. So go with me, Genesis chapter 32. We're going to start at verse 9. Genesis chapter 32. And let's see what Jacob prayed. Notice, I want you to pay attention to the words of Jacob and what he prays. And remember this, I've told you this several times over the series, that in, in the Old Testament we see two names for God. When we see it translated God, that's Elohim. The sovereign God, the supreme God over all creation. When we see the word Lord or Lord God, it translated that way is Yahweh or Jehovah, which means it's a more personal, intimate relationship with that God. The same God, just a different way to approach him. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham, O God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives. And you promised me that I will treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and my children. But you promised me. I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. This is Jacob's way of praying and praising and singing. You are a way maker. You're a miracle worker. You're a promise keeper. This is what you said you would do, God. And this is what I'm believing that you're going to continue to do. That You're going you're to make work out in my life. So he prays these prayers, reminding God of the promises that he had given him. And then Jacob says, alright, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this camp, and we're going to divide up in these different groups. And we're going to send this group off, and you're going to take some of our flock, and you're going to take this as a gift to give to Esau, because he says, I need to appease Esau for what I've done. So he takes uh, takes it off, and sends his first group, and sends flock, some flocks, and then he sends a second group, and he sends another group, and he's, all of them has got these gifts that they're taking, and he tells them all to keep some distance between them. I can't help, but think that there's a purpose in Jacob's mind that says, you know what, if he has the idea to take vengeance and he takes out the first group, eventually the word will get to me and and he won't get to me. Right? So it's like, if I'm in those groups, I'm saying, I'll go to the third group. I don't want to go in the first group, put me in the third group, right? That's the group I'm going to go in. But this is how Jacob's doing. And he sends these people off and he sends his family across a stream and he stays by himself. Right, And so this is where we are. Genesis chapter 32. Let's look at verse 34 and let's see what happens next as Jacob is left there by himself. Verse 24. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then Jacob said, let me go. Or the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him from now on, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and you have won. Please tell me your name. Jacob said, why do you want to know my name? The man replied, then he blessed Jacob there and Jacob named the place penile, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face. This is where we say he, this is why we say he wrestled God. He said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Jacob was in a wrestling match with his heavenly father, and Jacob proved to be very aggressive. He proved to be very desperate to get something from him with his desires, but the truth remained that the heavenly father controlled the outcome of the match. Right? He controlled everything that was taking place and what was going to happen in that moment. Jacob had been longing, we've talked about this, for a blessing all of his life. He had been longing to get some type of blessing. And even in this wrestling match that he's in, he's trying to get a blessing out of it. And he's telling God, he's telling this man, he's telling God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. The thing is, though, the blessing was already Jacob's to have. Jacob already had the blessing. God had told his mother, Rebecca, before he was ever born, that Jacob would get the blessing. The older would serve the younger. Jacob was the younger. Jacob would get the blessing. The thing is, Jacob always had the blessing. Jacob was trying to get the blessing he already had in the wrong way. He was going about it the wrong way to try to get the blessing. And as they're wrestling, Jacob is putting in this valiant effort, but, but his hip is touched. And he goes down, but he doesn't let go. But think about what's happening here. His hip joint is touched and taken out of socket. Your hip joint provides you with all of your mobility. Your hip is what supports your spine. It's what supports your organs in your body and holds them up. Your hip is foundational to your body's strength. And Jacob, because his hip is touched... Jacob doesn't have a foundation of his own to stand on anymore. Notice what's happening. The only thing that Jacob can do from this point on is hold on to God. That's all he can do. And so God asked Jacob his name. And I don't, I mean, God would know Jacob's name. So I believe that God is asking this so that Jacob would profess who he is. So that God could take him from who he has seen as to who God wants to make him into being. See, Jacob has been known in every way by his outer appearance, by his outer actions over and over and over again. This is how Jacob is known from the time of his birth. He has been a hill grabber. He has been a deceiver. He's been doing everything he can to pull people down and to bring himself up. And because of that, he's had nothing but turmoil tor- in all of his relationships. And so now he's being told, this is not how you're going to be known anymore. You will no longer be known as Jacob. You'll be known as Israel. Because why? Because you've struggled with man, you've struggled with God, but you are an overcomer, he says. And from this point forward, Jacob walks his life with a limp. And that limp reminds him that he can't do anything on his own power. His trust has to be in the one who is all powerful. Because when you fight against God, you lose. But when you cling to God, you prevail. And Jacob is beginning to realize that everything he's trying to get in his own power, in his own effort, it's not going to happen. He cannot prevail in his own power. The only way that he's going to be able to prevail is by trusting God. And he begins to prevail through persistent prayer, through longing to know God and trusting the providence of God. Jacob asked this man, he's wrestling with, he says, what is your name? And the way we read scripture, the way we read it, it says that the response is, why do you want to know my name? And then it says, then he blesses Jacob. It's almost like he doesn't give Jacob a time to answer the question that he asked. And I look at this and I think the only way for true blessing to be obtained in our life is to know God. It's to seek to know God. That that question is exactly what God wanted Jacob to be asking. To know more of God. To have a greater understanding of who God is. To have a greater understanding of what God wants to do in his life. To have a greater understanding of what God wants to do through his life. That's when we begin to discover true blessing. And it's not that Jacob had earned anything. It's that God wanted Jacob to understand who he was. There was a similar situation that happens in the in, in that we see in the life of Jesus... Jesus' and disciples are on one of their journeys, and Matthew and Mark tell us about this time where this woman, he encounters this woman, and, and she is a Greek, the scripture tells us, she's a Gentile, she was a, from the tribe of the Canaanites, that's where she descended from, and we learn about Canaan, and where that tribe is birthed in the book of Genesis, but we find out that she comes to Jesus, and basically she's trying to get Jesus to cast a demon out of her daughter, Her daughter is possessed, and she wants this demon gone. But Matthew points out to us that the disciples want her gone. (laughs) Look at why they want her gone. Matthew chapter 15, verse 23. Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word, and then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all of her begging. Other translations say she won't stop crying out. She keeps crying out. What is that? That is persistence. And she's persisting to get an answer from Jesus. Now, Jesus initially resists her, but she comes back again and she continued to worship him. And she kept pleading to him, Lord, help me. And then Jesus replies and Jesus responds. And he says, is isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? It's helpful to understand and to know that the Jewish, Jewish culture often referred to those who were Gentiles as dogs. That's how they referred to them. And it's like Jesus is taking the words of those that he has initially come to and using it with her and some have tried to soften this and say, well, Jesus is talking about a little dog here, just like a, a pet dog. That's the word that's, he, that's used here. But it's not like some wild scavenger dog out in that's mangy or anything like that. But still, it's dog. He calls the woman a dog. All right? And that doesn't sound like Jesus. And the woman seems to know this. She seems to have an understanding here about what's taking place. And she continues to persist. And she says, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. And I can't help but think that Jesus is standing there talking to her and this smile comes on his face because he, gets, he knows she understands the heart of the Father. See, we know that healthy growth in our life happens through resistance, Right? If you want to grow muscle, if you want to grow in any way in your life, you've got to bring something that brings resistance to produce growth. And sometimes the same thing happens in our spiritual life. We face resistance, but through that resistance, we obtain growth. And so Jesus looks at this woman and he commends her faith. And look at how Mark says he responds to her. He says, good answer. Other, transla- other translations say, since you answered in this way, go home. The demon has left your daughter. You know, sometimes it's better for us to keep persisting in prayer when it feels like initially God says no. It's much better for us to keep persisting than for us to say no to God. Keep persisting. We overcome, we prevail through persistent prayer. See, she was willing to be considered an interruption in order to receive what she wanted for her daughter. And this Gentile received healing for her daughter because of her persistence, because of her faith. When some Jews who Jesus had initially come to would lose out on the blessing of God because they would reject Jesus. This woman was not bothered by Jesus and his immediate rejection and this seeming no that he gives her first. Instead, she becomes more determined to keep seeking the blessing for her daughter. And instead of avoiding her situation like it appears Jesus originally is going to do, Jesus does what the woman believes Jesus can do. The woman believed he could heal her. The woman believed Jesus could free her daughter. And because she believed, Jesus did what this woman believed he could do. Jim Cimbala, he's author of a great book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He made this statement before. He said, the greatest battle of our spiritual lives is will you believe, not will you try harder? Because it is squarely a matter of believing that God will do what only he can do. We prevail through persistent prayer and trusting the providence of God. It's not about us trying to earn anything from God. We believe God can do. And we keep seeking Him because we believe He can. And then we trust His will. There was a study that was done with these elite musicians out of uh, a Berlin academy of music. And they started studying these violinists and these were world-class performers, and uh, many of them, and, and you had different ones that they began to put into categories. They said, well, these are world-class soloists, and you've got some really high-level performers here, and you've got some good performers here, and they're really good, but they probably can't get to where the world-class soloists are. But they looked at them, and they, they, they determined, and they found out that they all started playing around the same age. And they practiced for about the same amount of time up to they were the age of eight. And it was when they hit the age of eight that they began to notice their practice habits change and how much they dove into their skill. And what they learned was that those that were average in how they played their instrument, they put in about 4,000 hours of practice between the age of eight and 20. Those that were good put in about 8,000 hours between that same time span. Those who became experts in their field put in 10,000 hours of practice in that time. There's a neurologist by the name of Daniel Levinson, and he made this note because he began to look at all these different kind of studies that studied this this similar thing. This study with these violinists, other studies that involved musicians, studies that involved athletes, composers, authors, all these different people that had these unique skills. And he said the emerging picture is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve the level of mastery that's associated with being world class in that field. There's no denying the fact that someone can be born with an innate ability to be able to do something. Some people have just this innate ability to be able to to do things that that others can't. And that innate ability can, 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 can lead towards the upside of your potential. But the thing is that potential is only tapped into through persistent effort. It takes persistence to tap into the potential that is there for you to do the inability ability and grow that ability that is within you. Prayer is no different. To prevail, sometimes you have to keep pressing through. The thing that is different is that you're not trying to tap into your potential through your prayers. You're trying to tap into the power of God through your prayers. Because in God, all things are possible. You are trying to get to see the strength of God work in your life. You're not trying to, to, to you're not striving to obtain anything on your own strength. You're not, you're, you're, you're trying to know God and who God is and his. Because the blessing doesn't come from us striving and contriving to make something happen on our own. The blessing comes when we submit and commit to God into his will. We prevail through persistent prayer and trusting the providence of God. So Jacob has learned about the importance of persistence in prayer and knowing God, learning more and more about who God is, knowing him, being persistent to discover who God is in our life. But there's countless times throughout these passages that we have seen where the hand of God and God himself has been with Jacob. God revealed himself to Jacob as soon as Jacob left his home the first time and he laid there asleep. God revealed himself in a dream and showed Jacob that he was with him in the same promise that he had given his father and his grandfather. That was his promise. We saw where the angels were with Jacob through the time that he was with Laban and they would point out the times that Laban was trying to deceive Jacob. We saw where God spoke to Jacob and told him when it was time to leave Laban's home. We saw that when Jacob approached the area in scripture, we see where when Jacob is is getting ready to meet his brother, that the angels are right there with him. And that gives him a peace to know that God is with him. We see him wrestle with God face to face in this moment in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob was learning to persist, but he was in prayer, but he was also learning to trust the providential hand of God that he is in control that everything is in his hands. I love the account of Zechariah and when the angel appeared to him and told him that he was going to have a child and this child was going to be John the Baptist. This was the one that was going to prepare the way for Jesus. This was going to be Jesus' cousin. And so he approaches... Zechariah, and he tells him Luke chapter 1 verse 13, he tells him, then he said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, God's heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John, and he goes on describing who John is going to be. And then we see this response from Zechariah. Zechariah said, "How how can this how can I be sure of this will happen? I'm an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years." When I see this, I, I, this tells me that this must have been an old prayer that Zechariah was praying and Elizabeth were praying. They started praying this prayer a long time ago. Now they're at a place in their life where they're saying, Hi, you're coming to me now and you're telling me, we're old now. And now this prayer is going to be answered. And, and, and the angel is looking at him and saying, well, it's not that God didn't hear your prayer. And it's not that God said no, it's that God said not yet. Because he has a different plan than your plan. And his plan is perfect. So you trust the plan and you trust the timing of God. I love this statement from Ruth Graham. Ruth Graham was the wife of Billy Graham. And she made this statement. She said, when I'm dealing with an all-powerful, all-knowing God, I as a mere mortal must offer my petitions, not only with persistence, but with patience. And she says, someday I'll know why. Because we're trusting a God who's got the whole picture right in front of him. And he understands what's playing out. So we have to trust the providential hand of God that's over our life. Trust that his timing is the best. Trust that he's with us and he has everything in his hand. We just keep persisting in prayer. We keep persisting in seeking God and wanting to know more about God and who he is. And we keep trusting that he's there. Now, I wish that I could say that Jacob's story kind of goes smooth sailing from here on out. But unfortunately, it doesn't. Jacob does get together with his brother Esau. They reconcile their relationship. It, it seems cordial. He tells his brother Esau, he says, look, you don't have to worry about me. I, I'll, we'll meet up together again. In fact, I'll meet you in uh, Saire." Now, Scripture tells us that Jacob ends up settling in another land. It does not imply that there's deception there. He ends up to, uh, but settling in a different place, though. And where he settles, we see it in chapter 34, a very horrific act takes place with one of his children. Jacob's got one daughter and her name is Dinah. Her mom was Leah. And Dinah becomes a victim of assault, we see. And when we read what happens in Genesis chapter 34 and we see Jacob in this situation, Jacob doesn't respond to what happens to his daughter in a way that he likely would have responded years ago. In fact, we read it and we almost, it almost looks like Jacob's being apathetic and he's not responding in any way, shape or form. It's hard to know the heart of Jacob in this by reading the passage and what's going through his mind and what's taking place. His sons though, specifically Simeon and Levi, they decide that they're going to take matters into their own hands. See, they were the child of Leah as well. And this was their sister from the same mom, the same dad. And they were not happy with what had taken place. So they devise a plan. A plan that sounds a lot like what a younger Jacob would have devised. See, because the guy that has raped their sister Dinah, he comes back with his father. And they're trying to talk Jacob and his sons into letting the man who raped Dinah marry her. Because he says that now he's fallen in love with her. So Simeon and Levi say, look, the only way anybody from our family is going to marry anybody from your family is if the men of your family do what the men of our family have done, and that is circumcise yourself. And they agree. And this is all a part of their plan. Three days after the procedures that they have gone through of circumcision, when they're in a very vulnerable state of healing and recovery, Simeon and Levi go in and they murder the people in the camp. Israel's symbol of covenant faith with God had become a tool of humanity, of inhumanity. And Jacob's not happy that they did this. His response sounds a little bit selfish, but Genesis thirty-four thirty, he says, after Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you've ruined me. You've made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We're so few that they will join forces. now. They'll crush us. I'll be ruined. My entire household will be wiped out. And they respond this way. But why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute? They retorted angrily. It's hard to read accounts like this in the scripture. And try to get something from it. We've said this over and over. The Bible is honest. The Bible is honest about human nature. It's honest about the sinfulness of that human nature. And it is a reminder and it is a picture to us that God is always at work, even in the brokenness and the messiness of man. He's always working. I don't doubt that Jacob knows that what happened to his daughter was wrong. But he also knows that what his sons did to try to get vengeance was wrong. He's realizing there is a solution, but the solution is not found in the hands of man, taking it upon themselves to get the solution. The solution is in God. It's in trusting God, trusting his way and trusting his will. If we go back to before Jacob begins to wrestle with God and we look at when he was dividing up those groups and sending them out. He makes this statement or he has this thought, Genesis 32, 20. He says, I will try to appease him being Esau by sending gifts ahead of me. And when I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. Now, I, I never claim to be a Hebrew scholar. I just try to research and study and dive into things to get as much meaning out of things that I can possibly get. And I use different tools to try to do that. When I looked at this word, this word is used 101 times in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is written predominantly in Hebrew. It's used 101 times. This is the only time that word is translated, piece In fact, in Genesis, this word is used twice. The other times it's used, it's translated, pitch, when God is talking to Noah and he tells Noah, you need to use pitch to seal the cracks in the boat so that it covers it from leaks from the flood. And here, it's being every translation that I looked at, every single translation that I could look at, use the word appease. The large majority of every time that word is translated, 101 times, the large majority that word is translated, is translated atonement, or forgiveness. It's the verb form here to describe the noun, the uh, uh, of the day that we know of as the Day of Atonement, that's in Jewish culture. But see, this is what Jacob is learning. This is what Jacob is realizing that when sin happens, something has to be done so that the sin is atoned for. And the wrath and the judgment that comes as a result of that sin is appeased. What Jacob is trying to do is appease the wrath and the judgment of Esau on the sin that he committed. And he's trying to make atonement through the gifts that he's given. It's very prophetic. Because when you look at what happens through the life of Jacob going forward. Jacob has the twelve sons. Those twelve sons become the twelve tribes of Israel. Jacob's name again changed to Israel. They begin to form the nation of Israel. And eventually a temple would be built where the presence of God would rest. It's where the day, the day of atonement would be, would take place, would be at the temple. The priest All of which came from the line of Levi, descendants of Levi, Levi, a son of Jacob. One of the ones we saw in Genesis chapter 34. And these priests would act as mediators between God and man. And they would make a sacrifice of an animal. And that animal would be what would atone for the sins of man and appease the judgment of God. And Jacob is before all of this ever takes place. He's before all of this is ever going to happen. And Jacob is recognizing that there is a sin in this situation. And this situation needs to be atoned for. And these words of Jacob is a prophetic display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus would ultimately come and he would stand as the lone mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ would be the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And the only way for the wrath of God to be removed from sinful man is for sinful man to place himself under the covering, the atonement of Jesus Christ that was made for us. And it appeased the wrath and the judgment of God. And here's the beauty of it. Jesus died for the sin that we defile ourselves with. But he also died for the sin that was done to you that defiled you. Just like what was done to Dinah. And what he did covers the shame that we carry from all of it. The shame, the embarrassment, the guilt. He covers all of that through his sacrifice. He scorned the shame. See, God, when he wrestled with Jacob, he feigned weakness to bring Jacob salvation. And hundreds of years later, Christ would come and he would become weak and take on the full weight of sin for all of man. The late Tim Keller said it this way. He said, Jacob held on at the risk of his life to get the blessing for himself. But Jesus held on at the cost of his life to get the blessing for us. And Paul writes this in his letter to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter one, verse three. He said, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Christ. He's saying, you put yourself in Christ. Every blessing you're trying to get in this life, you receive it in him. It's there for you. And then he goes on to explain that that blessing has been available since before God ever created the world. God had the plan in place for Jesus. And the blessing has always been there. And that blessing is just waiting on us to receive it. There's nothing we have to do to earn it. It's there for us to receive it. It was made available first to the Jews, he reminds them. And then it was made available to the world. And then he says this in verse 14. He says, the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. And that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. God's providential hand has always been at work and his hand will always be at work we just have to trust him don't stop praying, don't stop seeking to know him more and more and more and keep trusting that he's in control we prevail through persistent prayer and trusting the providential hand of God. This is what we see taking place from the very beginning. And this is what we see take place in our life. Trust God. Keep seeking Him. Stand with me this morning. Blessing of God is available to you through Jesus Christ. We just have to receive it. Some of us today we need to trust that promise of God that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. That blessing is found in Jesus Christ. And we need to do what Scripture points out to us to do, to believe. Will you believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is? Believe in Jesus Christ and make Him Lord of your life. You need to trust that promise today that salvation comes from Him. Some of us, we need to remember the promise that He has given us the Holy Spirit. He promised us the Holy Spirit. He promised us the Holy Spirit to help us. He promised us the Holy Spirit to comfort us. He promised us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to empower us. Remember the promise. And trust the promise that he has given you. You need to remember today that he has promised you are an overcomer. He has promised that there is nothing that can separate you from his love. You put yourself in Christ. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. Remember that promise today. promises. Keep seeking. Keep seeking to know God. Remember his promise that says, if you seek me, you will find me. Seek him. Long to know more about him. Continue to seek God with persistence and trust his hand is at work. Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for this time together in your word. And we pray, Father, that as we seal this moment, just as Paul said, with praise and glorifying you, we proclaim today that we know and we trust that everything is in your hands. The God, we want to place ourselves in you. We know, Father, you are a way maker. You're a miracle worker. You're a promise keeper and we trust you today we continue to seek you we continue to trust you and we thank you father for what you're doing if you need prayer in any way today we would love for you to reach out to us you can go to our website bwccambin.com go to our contact page you'll find a link there to Uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566 and we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you god bless you we hope that you have a great week